Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into another episode of In the Tank. Today, we're joined by Rays prospect acquired this offseason, Dylan Paulson. Dylan, how are you doing today? Doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be here and talk some baseball, something I haven't been able to do much. So there hasn't been any baseball lately, so it's good we're getting back into the swing of things. Yeah, totally. We appreciate you joining us, like I said. So let's start here. Traded this offseason from L.A. to Tampa. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about what it was like to go through that trade process, especially going from two very competitive teams and two very good uh, minors programs. Um, I think it's an absolute blessing. I think um, I think the Rays are one of the best developmental teams in all of baseball, and that's seen in the prospects they bring up every year. It's seen in the guys they trade for. They're able to make an impact like – Look at Randy Rosarena. He was just a throw-in, and um, what was the deal? They the, they got Libertor and a Rosarena from, or no, they sent Libertor to the Cardinals, right? Got a Rosarena. Jose. Deal. That was the Jose Martinez deal, right? Yeah, I right. think so. And so, like, there's just they get guys and they develop them, and they're able to make an impact in the big leagues. And I'm hoping I can do the same thing with uh, their help. Now, you were a, a SoCal guy, right? So when you got drafted by L.A., I'm sure you were excited originally to, to be part of that organization and stay close to home. So, so I'm going to phrase it this way. I'm from San Diego. Right. I haven't, haven't been on the best terms with the Dodgers my whole life because we were always their little brother just getting whooped on by him. And I had to watch the Dodgers beat us every year. But when I got to USC, that's when it – was a little closer to home because in the off seasons, I would able to still go back to SC, do classes, work out at Dodger stadium. And, and I think that was really a blessing because it did kind of become my hometown team. I spent five years in LA going to school and then in off seasons prior after getting drafted. So it also gave me a good team to root for the Padres stunk. And so I was able to root for the Dodgers and all of a sudden they went to like three world series in the span of four years. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Then before Matt gets into his next question, let me ask this, even though you're a Rays guy now and in a Dodgers guy, you know, rooting for them, what is it like seeing your hometown team now turn into having a pretty dang good team? It's exciting, man. It's, it's really exciting seeing guys, I, like Tatis is younger than me, which is wild, just <laughs> insane. Like there's guys making an impact in the big leagues right now that are younger than me. And so like, it's almost weird saying like you look up to some of these guys because you're older than them, but like you do because they're doing what you want to do. And so I think, I think that being in San Diego, even during this quarantine, like you could feel that the Padres kind of like, revitalized sports fandom in San Diego. And I think that that was, that was really cool for my friends and for uh, my family who still are Padres fans. Yeah, for sure. Now on the race side of things, like I know things look pretty grim and dire long-term for most guys that sign with the Rays because of the finances that have been surrounding the team, but the Padres should be an example of how things can turn around once you get the stadium built, once you get the TV contracts done, because the Rays have a bigger TV market and honestly a bigger population right there. So 
eventually when they do get that those issues resolved which to be honest will be when you would start getting paid <laughs> you know the the opportunity will be there to keep growing with the organization so that's kind of a positive thing as well it is it is a positive and like the city of tampa is it's a big city like you'd think i heard the trop just isn't in like a very good place for fans to get to i'm not sure i'm not i'm not very familiar with the area yet but I've heard it's difficult for fans to get to, and that might be a reason why it doesn't get filled out very much. But, like, I would love to be a part of the reason it does start to get filled out again, you know? Well, that's You know, coming from a Rays fan in the area, (laughs) that is a big part of it. Everyone talks about how they don't necessarily like the TROP. However, I don't think it's as many people not liking the TROP as the lack of accessibility. Because let me tell you, 78 degrees and sunny with no – or 72 degrees and sunny with no rainouts – I don't think I've ever heard anyone complain about that in the baseball world. No, that doesn't suck. That doesn't suck whatsoever. Like I, I, I played in the Midwest league last um, in 2019 and April in the Midwest league is miserable. Michigan. It's cold. It was like opening day. It snowed in Cleveland. I was not having very much fun. I'll be honest. You, you know there was some people cheering when they delayed the start of the season. Yes, yes, especially because yeah. the Midwest League's now high A too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and now, and now we get to go in May, and like the first week still probably wouldn't be very warm, but it's better than thirty-two degrees and windy. Exactly. So, when, once you got drafted uh, by the Dodgers. Who was most excited in, in your family? Like you, you had a group of people that were probably waiting to see when you would get drafted and by who, and what was the general reaction of it to the draft? So my, my dad grew up in um, Northern Orange County. And so he, he's been a Dodgers fan his whole life. And he, I forget, there was a time where he um, was not, quite as much of a Dodgers fan always like a little bit of a closeted Dodgers fan he moved down to San Diego we had we had had season tickets to Padre games so I I think he was a fan of both which sounds weird Mm. but um when I told him I got drafted by the Dodgers he wasn't home he was out working gave him a call he started crying it was awesome my mom found out before I did she found out watching it on her iPad and I was it was just one of those things where it was like it was like kind of like a big sigh of relief because I wasn't sure if I was going to sign. I wasn't sure if I was going to get the deal that I wanted because I, I really wanted to go back and finish school. That was something that was important to me. I had put so much time and effort into that already that I didn't want to just let those three years go to waste, you know? Right. So they gave me the opportunity to go back to school, which was a blessing and, and I think it just worked. It worked out perfect. It was an awesome situation that, uh, that happened. That's awesome. It, it basically is a dream come true at that point, right? It really was. I got to play professional baseball and I still got to go back and finish school. So mm-hmm. it, it was incredible. So once you, you signed the papers and you know, you're a Dodger property at that point, how did things click in your head and change? What do you mean by click in my head and like, like did, did your mentality change in terms of how you ate how you worked out uh all those kinds of things where now you're you're aiming to be a dodger prospect and trying to move up the ranks i don't think so because um so 
my freshman and sophomore year at USC, I was not a very good teammate. I was lazy. I didn't take it very serious in high school. I was always the best. I skated by giving very minimal effort. And that's kind of how I went about my first two years at, in school, in the classroom, and in the baseball field. I just I let the other distractions get in the way. It was, you know, it was my first time with freedom. I was 18 years old, away from home, no parents to tell me what to do. And I was like, okay. And um, after my sophomore year at my exit meeting, one of the coaches thought it was going to be best for me if I transferred. They didn't think that I could help the team. And our head coach told me, hey, you'll still have a spot if you decide to come back. Um, but we can't guarantee any playing time. And so they gave me the summer to kind of think about it and make my decision. And I felt like my two decisions were either I could leave and that will just be the same perception they have of me forever. And there's nothing I can do to change that if I leave or I can come back, put my head down and kind of change, change, change the way they view me as a player and as a person. And, and that's what I chose to do. And I, came back, worked hard and took it serious. And I played in all 56 games my junior year. And I think I hit between the third to the five spot in every single game. So, so I, that kind of mentality and wake up call is still the mentality that I carry through today, because I know that if I don't take it seriously, someone else is, and they're going to take my job. So they, those two coaches essentially changed the path of your career and left it in your court, which is huge because you to put that kind of commitment down, you have to be into it. It has to come from you. They're not going to be able to do that for you, right? Yeah, and in the moment, I was selfish and I was like, dude, this coach is a dick. Like he doesn't he doesn't get how good I am. And then it kind of was just like, okay, maybe I have like not been the best and. And so now I cannot thank him enough for that wake up call. Like every single time I, I tell him, I was like, yo, I, I honestly did not like you whatsoever. I didn't like you. I thought you were mean. I th but like, I, I appreciate the way you poked to push my buttons and push me to be better. So it, does that coach them? Would you say that that coach has the biggest impact on your career so far? I'd say it's up there for sure. He's, I had some coaches when I was younger who I wouldn't say it was as big of an impact, but they helped grow my love for baseball, which is a similar impact I'd say, because I love what I do. It's unbelievable. I get to go out there and play a kid's game, but, but he showed me at USC that it's a job and I need to take it serious. And so both of those, I feel go hand in hand with each other. That's awesome. So then you you head off to the the Pioneer League, and you did really well right off the bat. And and it seemed to me like you, for some reason or other, when I look at the statistics and the games and, and this, the, you had a steady season where you were always seemed to be getting the walks. You weren't striking out much. What what was it that you think worked out well for you in the Pioneer League? I think um, something I've always done very well is had a good approach at the plate I know what pitches I can damage and I know what pitches I don't hit very well and I think that um it's it's my approach and sticking to an approach and the coaches that I had helped guide my approach helped point me in the right direction and I think um 
one thing my dad taught me when I was little, he said, Hey, if I show up in the fourth inning, I shouldn't see on your face. If you're three for three with two homers or oh for three with three strikeouts. And I think that just me being able to stay even keeled, knowing it's a long season because playing in the Midwest league after playing a full season of college baseball, that's 115 games. That's not something I had ever done before in my life. And so I think staying on top of the mental side of baseball because it's a long season and just sticking to my approach was really what helped me to stay successful. Well, definitely worked out because then you went off and, and did uh, really well, but struggled a little bit more with the, the strikeouts in, in uh, the Midwest league. You still made it on to, I think you made the mid mid season all-star game that year and then moved up to a plus. Now that mid season all-star game had you Nico and then you were facing off, uh, or sorry, it also included Wanda Franco and a bunch of other guys. Um, what was it like playing with that group once you were in that all-star game and you were basically, you know, hanging out with some of the better players in the league? That all-star game was an unbelievable. How many Rays were in that all-star game? Xavier Edwards was in that all-star game. Nico yeah. was in that all-star game. Wander, me, Sampin. I think Alan Strong was in that all-star game too. Witherspoon. Spoon was in there too. Yeah. There's like eight dudes on the Rays now from the 2019 Midwest League All-Star game. Betts was in it also. Was Proctor in that one too? No, I don't think so. Proctor was, yeah. Proctor I, uh, was. Um, but that was an awesome experience because it's it's kind of a validation of everything you work so hard for. And, and it's kind of a game where you just get to sit back and have fun and kind of take it all in, watch the awesome baseball that's going on because everyone around you is so freaking talented. So that was just a really cool experience to kind of just be like, okay, I, I'm actually belong. I'm here for a reason. So right, it was, it was just a validation of all the hard work I had put in so far. Another thing I want to talk about is that season you faced Caleb Sampin <laughs> twice, right? Yeah. So on May 28th, you guys faced off and you went 0 for 4 with a strikeout. What was that day like? Did he did he ride you afterwards? Did he was he texting you and saying <laughs> I think was that was in bowling green? I think so, yeah. I think I ended up at his apartment that night. Yeah. And so in Ogden, he we were in um this little corner where uh, it was like four California dudes, and then this dude from the Midwest shows up and by the end of the summer, we had him rolling up to the field in trucker hats and board shorts and flip-flops, and we fully turned him into a West Coast kid. He was my um, roommate on road trips, and he was, he's, I still consider him one of my good friends in professional baseball, and so we would always just go back, give each other crap, and I think I barreled two balls that day right at people, but I did punch out. He's got good stuff, man. He's got really good stuff. Well, how would you how would you rate the guys that you did face on the Rays? Like uh, you faced Shane McClanahan as well, I think. Um, oh, he emasculated us. Absolutely yeah. emasculated us. That's an unbelievable fastball. Mm -hmm. We it's an uncomfortable bat, man. He's across his body, and it was effectively wild. He was like just a, he was around the zone enough to make it uncomfortable where you weren't like there's a bats where you know guys who throw too many strikes almost where you're just like okay i 
I can ha- I can be ready to hit any pitch because I know it's going to be in the zone. But whereas with guys like Shane, it's freaking 98 with a hammer curveball and you have to cheat it, a little bit. It, so it, you're... It, yeah. And, and you cheat a little bit and then all of a sudden you swing at a ball and you put yourself in a hole. And I think that's why he was so difficult. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you have to give him credit. They gave him his debut in the playoffs. So there had to be something that oh, worked. Oh, right? No, 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 absolutely. Like, yeah. So like it's an uncomfortable at bat. And clearly it was an uncomfortable at bat for big leaguers too. The dude got outs. Exactly. So how did you find a jump from low A to high A for you in terms of the pitchers you were facing? Oh man. My first two weeks I struggled. I think I was punching out somewhere at a 40% clip, maybe even 45% clip. I saw a lot more strikes and I think I got into a habit of trying to be overly selective. And all of a sudden I'm in a ton of bad counts. I'm seeing good pitches to hit. They were throwing more off speed for strikes. And so I think the transit, the transition was difficult. I was getting down on myself. Our manager up there, Mark Kertanian, he was awesome. And he stood with me the whole time. And he was like, dude, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. Like, Mm. Like it's, it's going to be okay. And by the end of the year, I was one of the better hitters on the team. And I think I ended up hitting like 295 in high A after, after hitting like a, a buck 50 in the first two weeks. Yeah. That, the whole, when you look at it as a whole, I think you ended up with a 423 on base percentage in, in high A. So if you did struggle to start, you definitely ended up, raking at the end because that's a that's a pretty high obp Um, the the nice thing about walks is that even when you're slumping you still get on base and so it helps turn your 0 for fours into 0 for threes and and i think that that's a a big part of the game is still being able to get on base when you're not seeing the ball very well so one thing i wanted oh go ahead go ahead yeah so you're talking about a 423 on base hit 293 after slumping hard at the beginning of the season yeah, I wanted to ask you a little more baseball-based question. You're talking about the mentality of everything. One thing that I had a conversation with with a uh, ex-professional player a few days ago, the shift. The shift is a big part of baseball yes. nowadays. Do you find it bush league or oh, or is it okay if you've got three guys on the right side of the infield and you put a bunt down the third base line? I'm, I'm trying to get more players' perspectives on this. And has that ever come up in your career at all? There was uh, one day – or there was a series in the mid Midwest League where we were playing Kane County, the Kane County Cougars. And I don't get shifted very much because I do use the other field very well. Mm-hmm. And um, they shifted me hard the first day. I don't, I don't think I had any hits. But the next day I get into the cage and I tell uh, our first base coach, I was like, dude, I'm just, I'm just going to beat the shift three times today. And I ended up hitting a double over the left fielder's head had a little squib freaking off the top of my hands. Think I broke my bat, just fell into no man's land in left field for another double. And I think I had a line drive single by the shift. And I was just like, guys, if, if you want to shift, like, go ahead, it's free hits. But like, but what, what I like about the shift is that it's meant to get the hitter away from their approach. And I think, I think it did get me away from my approach because my, my approach is to do damage. And I was more thinking about, Hey, I'm, I'm going to beat the shift and they're fine. Giving me singles. I'm not the fastest guy out there. It's going to take 
it's going to take at least two more hits to score me from first base. So they're more worried about me staying on my pitches and hitting doubles in the gap and doing damage like that. So Do you think- I don't mind the shift. I know a ton of fans are just like, eh. But, like, if they're going to give you free hits, take them. Take yeah. them. They're right there for you. Like, even at the end of the year, it was a conversation that uh, our manager had with us in high. It's like, guys, if they're going to shift on you, just take the hit. Like, don't be too prideful. Mm-hmm. It's there for you. The, the way I always saw it was, like, when a pitcher's velocity starts dropping as he's aging, they don't say, okay, we'll move the mound up for you so that – you know, so he's not going to get, the, he has to learn how to pitch. And it's the same way with the hitter, right? You got to learn how to hit. And I can remember, I never played high end ball at all, but they, even at a young age, he used to teach you, you know, how there are ways that you can hit the ball the other way. So I, I think the, the, the irony of it is when Aiden touched on that, it's exactly what I wanted to go into. Cause in the uh, A plus level, you ended up hitting 50% opposite field. 50%. <laughs> like that is significant. I had no idea it was that yeah. high. So that that's a huge like if you're thinking about somebody like Chris Betts, he's basically getting shifted on like crazy because he's a heavy oh, pool oh, guy, right? He shifted on him like crazy. Right. And he so, hit, he hit so many two hoppers right at our short or right at our second baseman playing short right field. Exactly. And they're hits without the shift, but like sucks, dude. We got a guy there. Exactly. And and I think it rewards uh, the team planning in terms of trying to hit pitch inside, you know, getting you to hit that way as well. So it's a, it's a strategy thing, which I think should stay in baseball. Cause like you said, if they can, if you can work against it, then you're going to have success too. So. Yeah. And like, I don't mind it at all. Like the pitchers game plan for it. They say, okay, this is how we're shifting. This is where he hits 46% of his ground balls. So we're going to put a player there. It's where he hits the baseball. And we're going to pitch to how he hits the baseball there. So like, unless the hitter makes an adjustment, like I, I, that's what I don't understand is like, they say it's taken away from the game. Well, then the hitters just need to make an adjustment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, so what did you, uh, when you were watching the Rays last year in terms of the, the world series and, and the playoffs in general, what were your thoughts about their run? Unbelievable. They weren't supposed to at all. Like, I'd say there were how many better teams than them in the postseason? I'd say the Twins might have been a better team than them. I'd say the Astros were absolutely a better team than they were, and the Yankees were a better team than they were. And look at who was in the World Series. Not any of the teams that were better than them. So I think it talks about their management, and that speaks to how the team came together. I'd say they probably had the best bullpen in the whole postseason, which um, which obviously you need to get outs to win baseball games, and you need to get outs at the end of the game. And I'd say those last six outs are the hardest outs to get. So, so I think I think they matched up well against teams that were better than them. They might not have had the same firepower that the Yankees had with Voit and Stanton and Torres and Judge, but they got them out and that's what counts exactly then asking this question sticking with the rays and you talked about this earlier you being good friends with caleb sampin was he the first guy to reach out to you after you were traded or who was the first guy to reach out and what did they tell you to expect with the new organization 
So I actually called Caleb uh, three minutes after I found out I got traded. Literally just FaceTimed him immediately. And I was like, I'm coming to see you, buddy. And he's like, what? You're coming to Indiana? And I was like, no, I just got <laughs> traded. And and so that was really cool. Um, who else reached out? Uh, another dude, he went to Santa Barbara. His name is Ben Brecht, left-handed pitcher, reached out because we played each other in college. We went on a trip together to the Bahamas. Um, Ford reached out. I played with him going into our freshman year of college on a travel or on a summer ball team called the Puff Caps. So we're pretty close to, um, but I'd say those were, those are like the core group of guys that I know pretty good. It's interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. So it's interesting because you guys, uh, you're one of four guys that the, the Rays traded for from the Dodgers. There's also Nathan Witt and uh, Nico Holsizer. Yes. Um, and, and so you're going to be in fit with, surrounded by guys that you've probably seen before when you, when you show up for the minor league camp. Um, have they told you when you're heading out and, and what to expect once you get there? They've given us like a very rough set of dates because MLB season starts, what, like the 4th of April? So they're going to be gone probably last day of March. They said expect early in April report date. They don't know how long the turnover is going to take to clean everything out and every and stuff like that. So, so it's still very not set in stone yet, but we have a rough idea. Um, they haven't really told us what to expect, but I'm expecting it's going to be something like small groups. So they keep us separate a little bit. I don't know how games are going to work because they obviously can't keep us separate during games, but I mean, it's real life in Florida anyways, isn't it? Like there's no mask mandate, like everything's open. So it's just, it's so different than what's going on in San Diego right now and in California. Huge contrast. So talking about this a little bit, have the Rays told you at all uh, what to expect? Like whether it's the front office, a coach or anything about what to expect for your season? Have they told you anywhere about this is how we sort of see your role, anything like that? I'm sure that's something we'll talk about more when I we get face to face. That's not something we've talked about yet. We've done hitting talks. We've talked about philosophies and everything, but so much is my role and what they expect from me. I think, I think they need to see me play some more baseball first. They haven't got to see me play any baseball since 2019. So, so I think it would be unfair of them to judge me based on the player I was in 2019, because we've had a full year to change. So what did you do to keep your skills up all of 2020? I was blessed, man. I was really, really blessed. My gym, it's a small privately owned gym and, his rent payments depend on that gym staying open. So he just said, screw it, man. This this is going to stay open until the cops drag me out of here. So I, I had a place to work out four days a week since we got home on March 18th of 2020. And so that's been good. Um, the Dodgers had a hitting coach that lived five minutes away from me. So I've been hitting with him twice a week since middle of April. Sweet. And um finding fields has been difficult just because they're all kind of closed down, but, but we've made it work. We've hit on soccer fields with weighted balls because they don't go anywhere. 
it's been it's definitely been a different off season for sure than mm-hmm. what it's been in the past just because it's it's a completely different situation you know yeah it's a year long off season <laughs> just that in itself longer i haven't yeah. had a competitive baseball game since september 2019 yeah speaking of which if you do play competitive baseball on uh, computer games, do you play with Xbox or PlayStation? I have an Xbox. So I already pre-ordered MLB The Show 2021 because it's now on both. And uh, that's where we're going to end this interview. Uh, goodbye. Have a good one. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, oh, I was like, oh, my God, what did I say wrong? Um, the Xbox is like just what all my friends have had since middle school. It's what I grew up on. And... Um, that's why we asked the question, though, because you get a, a complete mix, right? And people are so dedicated to one or the other. It's really rare you'll see somebody have both. My so. brother my brother has a PlayStation, and uh, the main reason I got the new Series X is one of my favorite video games ever made, The Elder Scrolls. Uh, Bethesda was purchased by Microsoft, and that's the group who develops Elder Scrolls. And so that's going to be an Xbox-only game, and I, I want to play the new one, so... <laughs> It's like out of the next box. You see, I'm a big PlayStation guy, and so is uh, Alan Strong. So okay. we were talking with him about it, and that's, I think, part of the thing that sparked it. Uh, talking a little more video games, because we'll go into that. Do you think <laughs> that with the video games and with, like, Tatis being the cover boy, do you think this is going to help get baseball in a younger group of fans? I hope so. I think a lot more changes need to be made outside of just video games to help bring in younger fans. I think MLB sort of needs to go the same way the NBA did and allow get rid of the whole licensing agreement. Like the only place I see MLB content should not be from MLB posts. Like I, I think that's a very poor way of getting baseball out there. I don't, I think if I pay a hundred dollars for a full year to watch major league baseball games, if I don't have cable, I should be able to watch Padre games in San Diego. Like, and yeah. so I, th- I just think that more needs to be done to grow the game than just having Tatis and younger players be on the cover of MLB the show. Because, yeah. because I think MLB the show is already one of the poorest selling video games of all the sports games. I know for a fact 2K sells better and I know FIFA sells better. I heard I haven't played Madden ever, but I bet that game sells better than the show does. Not too. this year. Madden sucked this year. <laughs> That's what I heard. I heard it was bad. I I got the new 2K, and I don't think it's that great either. The the you know speaking from a guy who plays video games. By the way, shameless plug real quick to all of our listeners out there. If you haven't already, check out the Raise the Roof Twitch. Links are all over the social media. Make sure to check it out. But as a guy who sorry, have to get the shameless plug in there. Have to have to. As a guy who plays multiple video games on, you know, and now is trying to turn it into something to make a little money, it's sad to see these games struggle. But I think the one thing that MLB The Show can say compared to any game is that it brings the realism into the game. It brings the shifts. When you're playing franchise mode, it'll give you the ability to make 40-man roster moves, player options, club options. And I think that if there was better marketing by MLB, like you were saying, Dylan, I think that it could turn into one of the best marketed video games out there. I think, I think the little details like that 
are unbelievable for the fans like you and me, but for the very casual baseball fan that doesn't really understand options and doesn't really understand stuff like that, I think it probably goes a little bit over their head. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you need to bring in more casual baseball. Like there's just so many little, little intricacies of like the whole front office and management that, even I don't understand. I don't really understand the rule five draft. I don't understand the options that well. I don't I'm like, what's a super two. Like, <laughs> like there's just a lot of it's confusing, you know, or even like, if you even want to keep going into that, the, the uh, five ten rule or the, Oh, I don't even know what that is. That is if you have 10 years in the league and five consecutive on the same team, you get a partial no trade clause. Oh yes. Because that's what Longoria had before he got traded to San Francisco, and San Francisco was not one of the teams on his on his five uh, ten rule. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a whole intricacy. But we're gonna take a break real quick. We're gonna get on another call real quick, and we'll come back with more from Dylan Paulson right here after this. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back again after that break here, joined by Rays prospect Dylan Paulson, acquired by the Rays from the Dodgers in the three-team deal that sent Jose Alvarado to Philadelphia. So now, Dylan, we're going to get into what we call our viewer questions. Some viewers sent in some questions. Matt and I throw in some questions of our own. These are more quick-hitting, some of them a little more serious, some of them a little more fun. We'll just sort of alternate and, you know, have some fun with it. Sounds like a plan. All right, Matt, you want to kick us off? Sure. So what are your favorite ways to kill time when you're not playing baseball? Is this like in a COVID year and a non-COVID year? Where <laughs> I Let's say non-COVID. Let's say that. Okay. Ended. Um, well, I think it depends where I am geographically in the United States. Like when I was in the Midwest league, I got to do a ton of fishing up there and I thought that that was a blast. Um, if I'm in, Southern California, it's go to the beach, play some volleyball, hang out at the beach because I'm able to do that kind of thing. Love golfing. Um, Every year, my dad and I try to go on a hunting trip, whether it be dove, quail, duck or something. So I'd say those are my main interests outside of baseball. Video games, naturally, because it's been COVID. That's about all I've been able to do is I – go work out and I hit and I come home and play video games the rest of the day. How's your golf game? Um, could be better. Could be better for sure. Give me a sec. I'm sorry. It's all good. Sorry. Someone was calling me. Um, hey, it's all good. That's what we have uh, editing for. Yeah. My, my, my handicap says I'm like a seven, but I could just as easily go out and shoot 88 as I could shoot an 81. It's not very consistent, but like if my driver stays in play, then I'll shoot a low number. If, if my driver stays in play and I don't three put, it, w- it will be a good day. So here's my first question to you then based off that. I'm going to give you here, – here, I'll just phrase the question this way. You're out on a golf course. You're having a foursome, all right? You can have you, a guy who's on the PGA – a teammate of yours and one other person, whoever you want, who are you bringing onto the course with you? Wow. Um, hmm. 
This isn't even the hardest question I'm going to ask either. I know, but I like really enjoy golf. So <laughs> let's see. So teammate of mine, I'd say I'd want to go play with Brett DeGus. He was my roommate two off seasons in LA. He just got uh, picked up in the rule five by the Rangers. So excited for him. He's going to, if he performs well, going to get to be in the big leagues the whole year. And I think he deserves it. This man. Oh my God. I gave him so much crap for how poorly he pitched in, in uh, Ogden, but that's definitely a hitter's league. And then the next year I didn't get to give him crap anymore because he had like a sub two ERA on the year. And it was just like, well, you perform. <laughs> so I don't get to mess with you anymore. So I'd pick him as my teammate golfer on tour. I'd say Max Oma, Max Hama maybe because he looks like he has a great time out there or a, Harold Varner the third because he just looks like he always has a blast. He's he looks like he's like me on the baseball field where he just loves to chat it up with everybody, and uh, mm. that's like a perk of playing first base. I get to make so many friends because everyone has to stop at first base at some point. Um, and let's see, guy who's just any random guy. Wow. I can't believe that I, I can't even like come up with a name right now. There's so many people out there. I always thought I'd want Charles Barkley there just so I can see the swing up close. <laughs> and just so, just so you know, you're at least better than one person in the group. <laughs> that, that was a good answer. I was also going to go with, I just want to go out with Adam Sandler. Just, just for the happy Gilmore. Oh, that's not a happy at one time. That's the bad. That's not a bad pick either. Yeah. Or, or the guy who played Shooter, you know, just to. <laughs> yes, that classic movie. We'll go with Adam Sandler because he would keep morale up the whole time. Funny dude, he's cracking jokes. Yeah, he'd be handing out cigars after the first birdie for sure. You know Absolutely. that's happening. Shots, shots for everybody. You make birdie, the whole, whole group does shots. There you go. So another question we always ask is, why, is there a reason behind the number that you wear when you're on a team? So let's see. I was 25 in high school. Not really any reason behind that. 24 in college. It was the number that showed up in my locker when I got to school. And I enjoyed that number. So uh, I was 14 in Ogden. That's because that jersey fit me the best. <laughs> I, I was 24 in um, – I somehow got 24, even though I was like one of the last players to show up to the field to pick jerseys in Great Lakes. And then I was 43 because that was the only number available in Rancho when I got there. So I'd say if I had the opportunity, I would still wear 24. But isn't that what Kiermaier wears, if I'm not mistaken? Hold on. Fact checking. So yeah, I don't, I don't think that if I make it to the big leagues with the Rays, I'd get to wear number twenty-four. Let's see here. Hold up, just a second here. We're we're doing a double check, quick man of the roster here. I'd say twenty-four looks good on my back, so that would be my reason for wearing it. If I still was able to have my choice, that's a solid reason. 
It's, about, like, it's funny because I've asked that question uh, almost everyone we've interviewed so far and nobody, I think there was one that was like a particular reason at one level, but the rest of them were basically what they, what showed up. So it's funny how much power they give to this, these gear people <laughs> that oh, control yeah. the Jersey numbers. So 24 is available. Oh, it is. 24 is available up in Tampa right now. Was that like, is it available because it was someone's number and respect and it might get retired or something? What number did Longoria wear? Three. Three. He wore three. Boggs wore 13. I, if 24 is still available and I have an opportunity to be in the big leagues, then I will gladly take 24. Um, here's another Jersey-based question. I've got two Jersey-based questions, as I'll put it. I know what it. you're asking. Uh, no, this, I'm, I'm going with a different one first. Oh. So, yes. Players Weekend is a big thing, you know, in the MLB. What nickname is going on the back of your jersey? Well, if Bud Light allows it, I'd love to go with Dilly Dilly. That's my, uh, that's my Instagram handle, Dilly Dilly underscore 24. Toss me a follow. Um, so, if... If it's not like copyrighted or like there's some infringement there with the legal issues, I would love to put Dilly Dilly on my back. Give them some free freaking pub too. Yeah. Not like Bud Light needs it. By the way, for reference for Rays fans who are listening, if you're trying to think of who wore 24, the last Ray to wear 24 was obviously Ayel Garcia in 2019. Uh, the, the most notable guy outside of him was uh, Rays legend Dan Johnson, as well as uh, Tino <laughs> Martinez. And Manny Ramirez wore it in 2011. So, in some decent company there. Manny Ramirez was a Ray. He was a yeah. Ray for 17 at bats. <laughs> then he went to go play in Japan, right? <laughs> yep. Okay. He got He's busted. Legend. He got busted again for PEDs and said, "All right, I'm going to Japan." Okay, so that's why I completely forgot about Manny Ramirez's careers. He came in at the same the same year Johnny Damon did. Both like in the last year of their career. Yeah. yeah. So here's the here's the follow-up jersey question that we've asked everyone. And this time we'll definitely get a different answer. What is the favorite jersey that you've worn? Like cool jersey or whatever like that? Um I'd have to say it was our Wednesday jerseys in Great Lakes. We were the Great Lakes Camels on Wednesdays because it's ah. hump day. And uh <laughs> that year I don't think we ever lost a game on a Wednesday. I think the Camels went like 12 and 0 or something. Wow. Gotta say, it's yeah. as much as I love Bowling Green, it's nice not hearing Bowling Green is the answer to that yeah. question. <laughs> Those jerseys were ugly. I'm gonna be honest. They were like brown and yellow, and uh... <laughs> the the um, the the guys were raving about the Star Wars one. I think the May the Fourth jersey from Bowling Green. So I think oh, the, that yeah. was the one that was, was mentioned a lot. I don't think we got to. I don't think we had Star Wars jerseys in or I missed them. I think, I think they had them before I got to Rancho and they did the star Wars day after I got called up from great lakes. I don't think I ever got to wear a star Wars jersey. Oh, there you go. We, we did have some really cool jerseys in great lakes though, where it was, there was one day where we got to wear like Dodgers colors. So instead of like our green and red, our jerseys were white with, blue pins with uh blue and red numbers and i thought those jerseys were really really cool because you got to feel like a big leaguer a little bit 
That's awesome. Did you get to keep those? Um, no, they were definitely auctioned off. Ah, gotcha. Not to keep the hat though. Yeah. So has your, has your, uh, one question I got was, has your stance changed over time since you like got into pioneer league to what you are now? Um, yes, it has in the pioneer league. I was very upright. I had a toe tap load that, um, was no more. I'm now more of a, I wouldn't even really call it a leg kick because I don't think I get that high, but it, it's a pick up and put down. I'm a little bit more leaned over to create more space for my body to work properly. And um, I think it's all translated down from this big, like elaborate move to seeing how simple can I make it? So it's repeatable and how, how often can I be, on time and i'd say being as simple as possible has allowed me to do that the most a good answer now um, another question that we love to ask all the people who come on is uh you're stuck on an island all right <laughs> okay you can take three guys with you ready yes an mlb legend a current mlb -er, and a teammate of yours who are you taking Ted Williams, dude fought in World War II. He's an absolute savage. Are you telling me that he wouldn't be able to get us off an island? Um, a current MLB -er. Uh Is Mad Madison Bumgarner still in the league? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I'd take Mad Bum because I'm sure that dude knows how to survive in the wilderness. He's from what, North Carolina? Yeah. He would know what he's doing. And then – a teammate who would be there for some humor. Uh, I'd say I'd have to pick Brett again. We just get along so well, Brett to Gus. So he, he would bring the humor. I don't think he would bring anything else to the table besides good vibes. He's up from the Bay. I don't think he has any clue at all what to do in the wilderness, but let me tell you, I love your boy Sampin. But uh, so far, he's given us the worst answers to that question. Who did he, who did he take? <laughs> he brought Proctor, I think. Okay, from Beaumont, Texas. He knows what he's doing. He brought Ford Proctor. He brought, I want to say, Greg Maddox and Barry Bonds. That way he had a, another pitcher, a catcher to catch him, and a hitter. He wasn't even thinking of it survival-wise. No, he it was, was like, I'm, I'm pitching on this deserted island. Like, yeah. after three days, where, where are you going to get clean water from? <laughs> so the one that was not on his mind at all. No, no, like, no he was worried about baseball. I just want to play baseball in my last month alive. Yeah, that's right. No, let me tell you, the one guy I'm surprised no one has said yet is Charlie Blackman. That man is a caveman looking. I feel like he'd be great in the wilderness. I, that's a brilliant dude. He has an engineering degree from Georgia Tech. That's right. one smart dude. When I took a tour of a, we were in Bowling Green playing. I went to the old Hickory factory. They told me how he came into their factory and designed his own bat so he could get the densest wood possible for each bat. He wanted, it had like this super, super skinny handle. The barrel was like medium, medium size, but he literally engineered his own bat model so he could get the densest wood every single time 
That's a smart dude. That would not be a bad dude to choose either. Sounds like a good call, man. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. cool. That, that's a cool little story. Yeah. yeah. Money, no object. What car would you get? Am I being like semi-practical? Do I have a family? Like what are the yeah. guidelines? <laughs> dream uh, car. Just throw a dream car. Yeah. A dream. My dream car is an M4. I would love to have an M4. That's awesome. All right. Favorite Gatorade flavor. Or first of all, are you Gatorade or Powerade? Second of all, favorite favorite flavor of the specific brand? Gatorade, for sure. And Cool Blue. It's my go-to every time. It's it's the classic. It's what I know. It, it's not going to fail me. And I don't know how blue is a flavor, but if someone says blue flavor, you know exactly what that tastes like. Somehow you know what the color blue tastes yeah. like. It's funny you say that because we've had like a good spread of colors now. We're pretty well, much building a rainbow of Gatorade and Powerade fans. We've got, we going. We've yeah, had we, orange, we've purple, purple, yeah. green, orange, Who and watermelon. <laughs> Who was orange? Who well, was orange? orange? I think Sappin was orange. Oh my gosh! I need to pretty sure. Yeah, because because strong was purple. Yep, purple. And Witherspoon was this fierce melon flavor that apparently is the rarest flavor in the world <laughs> that he would not shut up about, you know? Leave it to Grant. That's so funny. <laughs> so uh, uh, my last question here, I'm not sure if Matt has any others here, but our last question for you, who is one guy you would love to just sit and have dinner with and just pick their brain? Any player any coach, anything like that, baseball related. We'll give you some parameter being baseball related. Um, I would have to say Tony Gwynn, probably. That's that's who I grew up on as a hitter. That's mm-hmm. honestly, as a pure hitter, he is probably one of the best to ever do it. The dude has. 19 straight seasons hitting over 300 he has more walks than strikeouts in his career i think he has more games with four hits than he does with two strikeouts so like it's funny that they were, ta- that they were talking about, about hit. and i would love 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 to hear his approach and what he thought about trying to do at the plate and yeah i'd, I'd have to say tony gwynn they were talking about him today on uh, MLB Network Radio, and they were talking about how few bats he was breaking through his career. And like he would go like long stretches without ever breaking a bat, and he basically, you know, uh, <laughs> he saved them a bunch of money in bats. And then they were talking about how Ichiro was carrying around six bats for like a, a twelve or fifteen game str- uh, stretch, and uh, some of the other guys are are breaking, you know, that many in the in the course of one game. So, hey, hey! if you don't want to break a bat, you better hit it on the barrel. That's right. And, and Ichiro and Tony Gwynn did that better than anybody. That's why Ichiro has, what, like 4,300 career hits combined between Japan and the MLB? Yeah. That's why – how many hits does Tony Gwynn have? Like 3,300 too? Yeah. Something it, like that. Yeah, definitely a Hall of Famer uh, first ballot, and uh, hopefully he gets the same treatment that Mariano got, I think. Yeah, definitely. Good. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Dylan, for joining us. Anytime you want to come back on, this was great. We'd love to have you back on during the season, talk a little bit more about what the approach is, what your time with the Rays was like or is like 
out at that point. Um, so good luck in spring training. We hope to see you soon, and we hope to see you in the big leagues. Thank you, guys. I had a blast. I'd, uh, I'd love to do this again at some point. Just send me a DM on in Twitter again. Perfect. You, thank you. So thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back after this here on In the Tank.